Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. My name is Aaron Laxon. Alongside with Robert Brining, beaming across the United States and around the world. Your 90-minute dose of hope brought to you each and every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You may follow along on the conversation on social media, Facebook and Twitter, and pause I am. And at bonsiam.org, that's pi.im.org, we encourage you to join in the conversation at 347-215-9442, that's 347-215-9442, 90 minutes, your dose of hope starts now. Good Sunday evening, Robert. This is the 27th day of October, and if you were unaware, we are actually right now in Game 4 of the World (laughs) Series. I know. Pretty exciting. I have my iPad set up right next to the dashboard, and I am monitoring it. So in case anything exciting happens, we devised a way to let the listeners know if the Cardinals, which is my team, and anybody who calls in has to root for um, uh, the Cardinals. And this is what the listeners will hear if the Cardinals score. But they have not scored yet, so that's just preemptively. If you hear that any time throughout the show tonight, then you know that the St. Louis Cardinals have scored over our competitor, the Red Sox. How are you, Robert, this evening? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, I don't know if I want them to score or not. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, oh. You know, we were talking, we were talking beforehand. Um, uh, about what we did, you know, the, the night before, and I was telling you how I was at a Halloween party, and and you were telling me you you went out and watched the game at a bar, and I was telling you how butch you are, and it just cracks me up. I just think it's fun. It, it just, it, it just, I don't know. It's just funny that you're so butch and you go and watch the games, and you're such a die diehard. I guess baseball. I guess, I guess I understand that because I'm a diehard Union fan, but not. I don't know. It's just funny well, for me. <laughs> I think it's hard for anybody not from St. Louis to understand. St. Louis is like it's just part of our DNA here. That you, when you're born, you're born a Cardinal fan. So, and we have we have such a rich history in uh, in baseball, so it makes it even easier. Um, but love baseball. Um, so, you know, we're ramping up for Halloween. Probably many of our listeners, uh, they've either had some Halloween parties or they're going to be going to some Halloween parties. Tell the listeners what you went as last night for your Halloween party. Um, I actually uh, purchased a – it was called a reverse skeleton. 
um, and it was a one-piece jumpsuit kind of, you know, like you see at the games that the, you know, the fans wear. Um, and it's basically a huge stocking that is skin tight. And, you know, it was, the skeleton was reversed. So most of it was white and my bones were black. Well, all right. And it was, I, and it was I, quite, I saw the pictures of these. So I, I don't <laughs> think you have an ounce of body fat on you. Let me just say that. I saw the pictures and um, woof. That's all I can say. Woof. <laughs> it was funny because my friends, um, Michael, James, and Rob, ended up doing drag last night. And this is the first time I've ever seen any of them in drag, and they ended up doing um, Willem Detox, and, and I think the other one's name is Vicky. Mm-hmm. You know, from the um, This Boy is the Bottom video and stuff like that, and they performed, and it was friggin' fun. It was it was really uh, interesting. They really uh, pulled it off pretty well. You know, I like oh parties like that where people have fun. The pictures are on Facebook or on Instagram, so you can go see them if you're you know, uh, uh, one of my friends or followers there, but it, it was fun. I never did drive before, so I don't know if I would make a pretty lady. <laughs> I know I, I would not. Um, so for all the listeners out there, don't <laughs> hit me up on Instagram expecting to find those kind of pictures. It will not happen. You'll see me in leather. So, <laughs> but actually, it was it was very interesting because our guest from last week, David Watt, he actually went to a Halloween party and he was. Um, uh, kind of in drag. It was like camp drag. You know, he still had his beard uh-huh. and everything, and he had this uh, red wig on. It was very funny. Uh, so uh, he is quite the character. So you have to look him up on Facebook, at, uh, David Watt. Very interesting. It's funny you bring uh, up him and Mr. Friendly because I noticed uh, throughout the week since he was on last week that there was a new little image flying around Facebook and the, the you know social media platforms. Now I created that. Did you like that? <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, you know, really cool. some great things come out of this radio show, and that's just one of them. Um, yeah. So we, we, I created a uh, Mr. Friendly HIV criminalization logo. It'll be floating around, and uh, yeah, so definitely something to check out. We have a lot to talk about tonight. We have a very exciting show. We have. Um, the one and only Peter Staley from How to Survive a Plague, a longtime HIV-AIDS activist, gay rights activist, one of the first members of ACT UP, um, and a founding director of TAG, or the Treatment uh, Action Group. He, his bio is just goes on for days. He served on the board of the American Foundation for AIDS Research, or AMFAR, for 13 years, and then he went on to found AIDSmeds.com, educational website for people living with HIV, and he is a, a leading subject in the Oscar-nominated documentary, How to Survive a Plague. So I, I know I, I can't speak for you, but for me, he is definitely a hero, and um, he has forgot more about activism than I'll probably ever hope to learn. Yeah, he is so. definitely a hero, and I think anyone you know, who's listening to this show now or in the archives or is living with HIV, you know, we really – owe a lot of what we have now, you know, things we take for granted, to people like Peter and all of his friends and at times those people that were his family, you know what I mean, to all those people who stood up and acted up. That changed, you know, everything. Right. So it'll be interesting. I I definitely have some questions that I want to ask him, and and hopefully any of the listeners that are listening in or will tune in, um, if they have questions or comments, um, they may call in at 347-215-9442, uh, 
215-9442. But like we do each and every week, we are going to hit the hot topics from around the blogosphere. Blogosphere? That's a word, I think. And yes. this week, as <laughs> promised last week, I have a new sounder for this. And here we go. You are hotness. <laughs> Work that bod. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> Work that bod. Work it. Now do a little turn. You're doing great. You're a tiger. Oh, you're really an elephant. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you that. All right, so we have news from around the blogosphere. Now, I wanted to start out with I got an email from our friend Bob Leahy from PositiveLight.com, and he had listened to the show from last week where we were talking about Pat Robertson. And he said in his email, he said, Greetings from Canada. Oh, Canada. Um, I listened to the last Pause I Am broadcast in which you rallied against the views of Pat Robertson. Uh, if I understand you correctly, uh, when he said that AIDS virus originated in monkeys in Africa and was spread by polio vaccinations or, some, or something similar, um, he went on to say that there are some truths in, in what was said in the book's Origins of AIDS. Canadian researcher and epidemiologist um, uh, Jacques Pepin, um, which book is perhaps a leading uh, Treaty on the topic argues the virus did, in fact, cross the ape-human barrier in monkey hunters in the Congo and was subsequently spread in part by colonialist doctors using clean, unclean needles. And so I emailed him back and let him know I wasn't calling him a jackass totally because of the things this particular comment. He's just a jackass in general, um, Pat Robertson, um, because the the remarks that he typically uses are very stigmatizing. So that's what I was – I needed to clarify that to the listeners. And that's the problem. With many of the people that perpetuate these kind of stigmas, they're founded in some truths, right? That's what makes the their message um, easy to swallow. So thank you, Bob, for um, calling me out on that and keeping me honest. <laughs> We love our listeners. We love people. If you if you ever hear me say something that is not accurate or true, please say something to me, and I will call myself out for it. So <laughs> I know. And more of a sad note, um, discouraging um, is the word used for the hopes of a total cure for HIV dealt a blow this past couple weeks. Hopes of a total cure for HIV have been dealt a blow after researchers in the U.S. discovered that the reservoir of inactive viruses in a patient's body may be up to 60 times larger than previously thought. Um, although modern drug treatments have proved hugely effective in controlling HIV virus, enabling uh, patients to live long and full lives and reducing infection, they do not kill all the virus uh, in an infected individual. This is interesting because the reservoir in the last couple of years, our knowledge about this has really grown. The findings um, were published in the journal uh, Cell following a study at Howard Hughes Medical Institute uh, in Maryland. Uh, we're discouraging, experts said, but should refocus efforts 
to make sure HIV-positive people are getting the treatment they need. They went on to say the findings suggest that there are a lot more of these proviruses that we have to worry about than, than what we thought. And I, I kind of read through this, and they, the, one of the researchers went on to say the lessons that from this is that prevention is not only better than a cure, it's the only viable um, option for the foreseeable future. It's discouraging, but we need to accept we're in this thing for long haul and do what we can uh, with what we can, uh, which is encouraging people to wear condoms, have regular sexual checkups, and avoid other forms of risk um, like needle sharing. So, uh, you know, you, you, you take the good news and you take the bad news, um, but I think it just shows the complexity of the human immune system that we have here. It's uh, not as easy as what we think, right? Oh, my God, it's so complicated. There's a song like that. Um, (laughs) For those of you who were wondering, um, and for our friend Brand Mack, and I know, Robert, you work closely with the ADAP Advocacy Association. Um, As of October 17th, there are 201 people in three states that are currently on ADAP waitlist. That would be 186 people in Alabama, um, and 15 in South Dakota. I don't think that adds the 201. Maybe it does. And then there's other states that have cost containment measures that are in place, um, such as enrollment caps, expenditure caps, financial eligibility, formulary reductions, and then there's a few others. So I encourage you, if you would like to find out um, what your state is doing or what's going on, you can always go to the ABAP Advocacy Association's web page and find out the latest, greatest information. What else do we have here? I have like a whole pile. Um, talking about TAG, you know, because Peter Staley, he um, helped found that. Michael Palm, uh, HIV Basic Science Vaccines and Cure Project web blog. Um, this is by Richard Jeffries, project coordinator at TAG. Um, and we made mention a few weeks ago about a, a 12-year-old boy who had passed away more information is coming out about this. In April, the doctors at the University of Minnesota announced that they were attempting to reproduce the cure achieved in Timothy Ray Brown and a 12-year-old boy with HIV and leukemia uh, who required a stem cell transplant. Permission was obtained by the FDA to conduct a procedure, and it was performed on April 23rd. On July 12th, the university reported that the boy, his name was Eric Blue, died July 5th from complications associated with the transplant. Blue developed a uh, severe graft-versus-host disease, or GVHD, a known risk associated with stem cell transplantation. Um, In the news story, the doctors expressed their commitment in honoring Blue's bravery by learning from this case. Um, One aspect of Blue's procedure that wasn't clearly known was the extent to which the CCR5 homeozygous cord blood source um, was HLA matched. Um, So I think, you know, it's very fitting that when we're talking about, you know, how to survive a plague, there are still people that are are paying sacrifices for the betterment of our cause and towards the search for a cure. And this 12-year-old boy, Eric Blue, I think he is definitely one of the latest to fall, um, fall to this. 
If you did not know it, Robert, the flu season is upon us. Have you got your flu shot yet? Yes, I have. Okay, well, for the listeners out there, and you may be saying, should I get a flu shot? And the answer is yes. Flu shots are worth getting. In fact, I got mine on Friday, and I got a Hello Kitty Band-Aid because my doctor's office loves me. Um, Wait a minute. minute. You got yours on on Friday? Yeah. Because, you know, there's that myth that, like, when you get it, they're injecting you with it, and you're getting sick, and blah, blah, blah. And you get sick right away from it. And that's why some people don't get the flu shot because they're usually, they say they don't get sick. And then as soon as they get the shot, they get sick. And now you're telling me you got a Friday and you're sick a little bit today. It's kind of making me wonder, you know. Well, you know, but see, it's very good that we're bringing this up because people infected with HIV who receive flu vaccinations are less likely to get the flu. And when they do, the symptoms are less serious. Uh, uh, Combined uh, influence vaccinations available it's intended to protect against two, si- two kinds of flu that's seasonal and pandemic. Um, you're actually getting an inactive form of the virus. So there's no live virus in the, fla- in the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So that's where the myth arises that, you know, people, if you, were go- if you get sick right after you get vaccinated, it's because you were already getting sick. Not, it's not from the flu um, vaccine that you got. Um, flu vaccinations should be repeated every year as a strain of seasonal influenza infected, infecting people changes every year. Uh, people with HIV infection should receive a flu shot rather than nasal spray. The shot does not contain flu virus, whereas the nasal spray contains flu virus that is alive but weakened. It's not recommended for HIV-infected people, particularly those with CD4 T-cell counts uh, less than 200, to receive the nasal spray. Since people with vulnerable immune systems may have a higher risk of complications from the nasal spray, um, you cannot get the flu from a flu shot, so you should tell your doctor if you're allergic to eggs, um, especially over easy, or have a bad reaction to other vaccinations from the flu shot. From your pause, I am news desk. I am Aaron, and I bring you your news. <laughs> You know, uh, we still have some time before Peter calls in, and one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, at my recent support group that we had last week, I picked up one of the new issues of HIV Plus magazine, and on the cover of it is, you know, Miss, the beautiful, lovely Miss Kelly Osborne. And it got me thinking, what do, you know, I'm curious what people think about having celebrities on the cover of these magazines that are for people living with HIV when there's so many of us out there that are living with HIV who are doing wonderful things who, you know what I mean, could be put on these things to be inspirational and give each other hope. And I just feel like sometimes seeing a celebrity on an HIV-positive magazine, it, it discourages me. Like, I feel like it's like a sellout. Like, you're using the celebrity to, for people to pick up your magazine instead of using somebody who may, you know, be a nobody. So, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, but, but let me play – hold on one second. I have to say the Cardinals scored, so I won't play the sounder, but we scored. Um, you know, <laughs> what I'll say is this. If we only use celebrities that have HIV, um, then we would be stuck with the Jacks and the Mondos and the Jamars. I love all of them, love all of them. Right. But that would, be, that would get kind of redundant seeing just those faces all the time. Um, you know, and, and, and so, but I see what you're saying as well. I mean, you know, we have to I mean, to I'm, get... not saying use, 
I'm not saying use HIV celebrities. I'm saying use a mom that's in Nebraska who has two kids, you know what I mean, who doesn't have any support and is living with the disease and, and, you know, living her life as a mother who's positive and how she's dealing with it. Use somebody who's a no, who thinks they're a nobody and, and, and let them be inspirational to other people. I just like there's so right. many people who are willing to be open about their life and, and, and I just, I just feel like sometimes, you know, it's, just, it's a cop-out sometimes. No, I, I understand. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I appreciate that. I think, you know, I think the other thing, too, is we have to remember as an HIV community that we have to have a product that is marketable and interesting, right? And so that's what magazines, that's what the entertainment industry, that's what all these um, sectors of businesses, they're looking for. And, and it's one thing to simply be doing good work. But it's another thing to be to present them with a product that can say, okay, we can package that, we can move it on. You can push your agenda, but then you can also generate some revenue for them. And I, you know, that you know, it's a crappy world we live in, but that's the reality, right? Right. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to speak about in this magazine, you know, I, I love HIV Plus magazine. I'm not saying there was anything, you know, I'm just saying it was just something that irks me sometimes. Um, they have um, an article in here called The Road to Stopping HIV in the South, and they, they had a, a poll that they, they took uh, there, I guess they gave out for people to discuss, and it talked about the eight biggest disadvantages of being HIV positive. So I'm just going to go down some of them that are listed here, and you know, I want you to tell me if you think it's a big disadvantage or not. Um, the risk of getting side effects or health problems in the future. Do you think that was like a big or... Uh, like, an, you know, a big disadvantage or a little disadvantage. All right, run that by me again. The risk of getting side effects or health problems in the future, do you think that's something that, you know, You know, I think the medications have gotten, well, I think the medications have gotten so, you know, better that people don't think about it. We need to think about it because inflammation and, and comorbidities long-term we know it's a real problem, but I don't think people look at it as a problem. Well, they responded with 70% find it very important. Okay, very good. And then 21% say somewhat important. So, you know. The 20%, I mean, you know. They, they, it's all vain. It's all vanity. As long as they look pretty on the outside, it doesn't matter what's going on the inside. Right, so the next one down the list is uh, the negative impact on my health in general. And I was actually shocked that only 46% found it very important disadvantage. Uh, yeah, I mean, most people don't even know what they have till it's gone. So, um, you know. The next one is the, the risk of infecting someone. And, you know, I think that's uh, probably little. That's probably. <laughs> I think. <laughs> you think what? I, I think it's a, low, it's a low percentage that think about infecting somebody else probably. I don't know. Forty-five percent say it is a, 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 an important disadvantage. Yeah, I can see. I mean, I can see it both ways. I wouldn't necessarily want to infect somebody with HIV, but at the same time, if we're if we're preaching stigma, anti-stigma, and we're preaching that HIV is not a death sentence, then what if I do infect somebody? Right. I mean, we it, we can't be riding both sides of the fence and saying this thing is not a death sentence, but if I infect somebody. Oh my God! I'm gonna hold my. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Right. Well, the next one is the stigmatization. This, you know, stigma. And 
41% say that that is a very important disadvantage. Of course it is. I don't like the term that they're using important disadvantage. (laughs) It's kind of annoying. Um, You know, it's the side effects from my HIV medications is 38% say that it's a very important disadvantage. Well, I think that's, I mean, a lot of people, why they, they won't start medications yet, you know, because mm-hmm. there's, this, there's this idea that there, is, you know, the the side effects from the medications are so horrible. I, I hear that from newly diagnosed individuals all the time. And, you know, the reality is the side effects that we deal with are not, I mean, once you get stabilized and you've been on medication for a while, those side effects normalize. And you know I'm I'm as healthy as a person who's negative. I mean I still have side effects, but and that's going to vary, <laughs> <That's life>. vary <laughs> person to person. But right. Um, but I was like, I forgot the hell I was going to say about that. But that's why it's important for people like Peter and Dad when we have them come on and 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 talk about it because the way that the the progression of medication is so enormous from what it used to be that people still have that image of, you know, what AZT did and what, you know, people wasting and things of that and the lesions and things, you know, have improved so much. That's why it's important for, you know, these old-timers or the long-term survivors to come on and and to to talk about it and to share about how far they've come and and, and how much better we have it today and why we shouldn't be afraid to start medication. Right, I agree. And we have to get that message out that, what life is like for a person that's on medication now. And I think that's why it's so important for people to talk about, um, you know, and that's why with, you know, my HIV journey on YouTube, I wanted people to see. And the videos have changed over time, you know, from when I first started taking medication to where I am now. And that's why I've had to change my topics because there's just not a whole lot to talk about now, right? I mean, life regains normalcy after a period of time. I mean, and, and that's great. That's something that you know we fought long and hard for yeah well that's important that you do that and i was going to i was going to ask you is how has it changed since you started like your life in general has it gotten better has it gotten worse but you're saying it's gone back to being a normal life and just you know living your life yeah i mean you know i think it changes i mean you we would be remiss if we said that life does not change after you become positive you know, I always say it's not a death sentence, but it is a life sentence. You change how you live your life. You change, you know, how you're being healthier. Or you, for me, I stopped using drugs because obviously we know that drugs has a, a really bad effect on our immune system. So for me, it it only caused my life to be better because now I'm more health conscious. And I'm sexier yeah, than of, I've ever been. That's true. For what I'm told, <laughs> um, but um, no, uh, I agree. That's what it's done for me. It's kind of helped me get my life back in order and, and feel normal again. You know, I feel like I wasn't really taking charge of my health. I was just kind of living my, you know, my life and letting kind of HIV take advantage of me, say. Um, and I feel like now that I'm taking medication, my, I'm giving my body, you know, the guns and the and the fucking. Uh, can I just say that? Yeah, I did. The guns we, we, and, uh, hold on, I need to bleep you out. <laughs> the guns and, and like, you know, the, the army to, to fight back the virus. And I feel like it's important that we take control of it and not let HIV run free in our body. So that's you kind know, of like why it, I started meds. 
it's like my it's like I tell my clients that are that are coming out of prison or some that are in prison. You can either let your prison time do you or you can do your time, okay? Living with HIV, you can either let HIV run your life or you can find a way to harness and, and become motivated and live healthier. And I'm seeing from comments in the chat room, um, you know, Jeffrey's saying that, yeah, you know, been positive for 26 years and the meds are way better than they were before. And Jason said, absolutely, strangely enough, getting HIV caused me to become healthier than before. You know, no meth, no other drugs, you know, quitting smoking, working out now. And um, you have, as a patient, you have to make the determination, what is HIV going to be for you? Is it going to be a motivator or is it going to be something that debilitates you and causes you to basically crumble? And I, I've seen those people that they've not been able to, you know, find anything motivating about it, and they let it debilitate them. That's true. And that's you know, Nancy, we Nancy went on to say and... that. <laughs> she said why? Nancy said, yeah, I have to agree. It doesn't have me. Nancy, by the way, um, I don't think I put anything out there. I just saw a picture floating around on Facebook for the uh, a day with HIV, um, and she had an I am HIV positive poster. Um, so people might want to be looking for the next um, positively aware floating around in the November issue for Nancy. Ooh, exciting. Did you send the photo in? I did. I, You know, I'm not cool enough to, to get on the cover, though. Nancy's cool. I love Nancy. I, uh... Well, last year they had um, our friend uh, Melissa on the cover. Melissa Baker, she was on the cover of um, the the one of the covers because there was multiple covers actually that year. They did a couple different ones. Yeah, there's four this year, and it's um, uh, just the picture that I sent in. It was just I was getting ready to go to an NA group, and I had my Mm -hmm. NA book, and um, I spoke about you know for me living with HIV. NA is a part of my life, and recovery is a part of my life, and so there's nothing really super exciting about that, but I can say the day that I'm clean and sober, and, you know, I've been sober since January 5th of 2012, so, you know, and and I think that's a real testament to what we make it, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you have a job, you have a life, yeah, you do HIV stuff, but you have a whole life, I always love that you post pictures of you and your family. And I think that's a true testament because that's something that's very important to you. Um, And I always just really kind of get a big old smile whenever I see pictures of you and your family. It's funny. I was sitting there with my niece, Abby, and uh, we were going through. She grabbed my phone for me today, and she's like, let me go through your Instagram photos, right? So she goes through, and she starts going through, and then there there was so many pictures of me and her. And it's interesting because before, I would never, you know, take pictures of myself, I always was the person behind the camera taking photos. And it's kind of the same way that my dad was. And that's why when my dad passed away, we had no photos of him because he was always the guy who was either filming it, you know, recording it, or, or taking the photos themselves. So I swore that once I went through that experience of not being able to have that memory of my dad, that um, if, God forbid, anything would happen to me, there would always be pictures of me for people to remember me. So that's kind of why... You always see these pictures of me that I post up. It's not because, you know, um want to post pictures of me. It's just I want I want there to be memories with as many people as I can find. So that's why I do what I do. 
That's awesome. It's the bottom of the hour, and we are waiting <laughs> on on Peter to call in. I'd like to remind all the listeners you're listening to Pause I Am, and you can follow the conversation along on Facebook or Twitter on pauseiam.com. Um, and you may also call in at 347-215-9442. Um, <laughs> I, I messaged Dab Garner earlier, and I, I, was, I was kind of joking that, that he needs to create a prostate panda bear. And um, he, he commented back, I've already been around 51 years, big bear hug. <laughs> <laughs> so we love uh, Daddy Dab. Oh, it's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a, an amazing life that we're all leading, and I cannot uh, say how amazed and um, grateful that we get to speak with Peter tonight um, about the amazing work that TAG and ACT UP did and really got us to where we are. We talk about having a healthy life and having, um, you know, just the quality of life that we have today, and it's because of... Uh, activists who shut down, you know, the FDA and NIH and these other organizations. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have that. It's true. We owe so much to them. And that's why I'm so, like, I'm excited and I'm nervous about this because I feel like, like this is, you know, it's like talking to, you know, somebody who's, who's lived through history and, and that's exactly what he's done. And the history is what we can't forget. We can't forget where we came from and what other people have gone through to help us, you know, be where we are. So I see that there's a, a caller on the line, and I don't think yeah, that is Yeah, let's go ahead. We're going to play the uh, trailer for the movie, and then we're going to bring um, uh, Peter on. So here is the trailer for How to Survive a Plague. Plague! We are in the middle of a plague! 40 million infected people is a plague! AIDS is now the leading cause of death. Demonstrators blocked access to buildings. Coalition of gay groups came to shut down the FDA. This government has the resources to deal with the AIDS epidemic, and they won't do it unless we force them. We want everybody to join us. We are trying to arouse to anger and action. Until we get our acts together, we are as good as dead. I started to look for treatments to help save our life. I wish they'd shut their mouths and get their mentality out of their crotches. There was nothing coming out of our government's efforts. But no, they march in the streets. They defy you. I decided to become a full-time AIDS activist. scientists to some degree. We can take a drug, your test tube, to the market in under two years. This total reluctance on your part is going to get you nowhere. It'll end up killing us. The death rate just kept on climbing. It became very clear that you weren't going to mess with these people. I am going to fight them. My patients are going to fight them. And you got that well. We need our government to save our lives. This isn't going to be cured for years and years and years. I'm going to die from this. a terrible disease, and 
that a brave group of people stood up and fought, and in some cases died, so that others might live and be free. You know, every time I hear that trailer, I cannot help but, you know, really just feel this energy um, coming through me as a young activist. Um, I believe we have uh, Peter on the line. Peter, are you there? Hey, guys. Hey, thank Peter. You. How are thank you? For, good. Thank you for joining us. As you hear that piece, uh, we're just going to get right into this. You know, the one thing that struck me, uh, you know, as we're hearing that trailer, um, you just flat out said, you know, that, that there, that it sounded as if you you weren't going to be here anymore. That you you could see down the road and you could see your own mortality. Was that what you were what you were facing? Well, certainly, yeah. Prior to 1996, uh, and uh, any of us that got diagnosed in the 80s, um, it was, you know, it was a death sentence back then. And um, you, you, you generally just looked about two years down the road and, and always thought that that was your horizon. Um, and if you got, you know, if you got close to that two years, then you looked two years further down the road. And, uh, uh, and so any, any of us that made it to 1996 when the, when the real good treatments came out, um, we got there mostly by luck, frankly. And um and a lot of us didn't make it. So uh yeah, I was I I I didn't see I didn't see a future for myself uh much beyond two years during those years. So we were telling the listeners before you came online, I mean, you you really are uh you know, I don't want to say God the godfather of the movement, but when we start reading your bio, <laughs> you know, long term uh, HIV/AIDS uh, and gay rights activist, the first member of ACT UP, one of the first members, a founding director of TAG, the Treatment Action Group. He served on the board for the American Foundation for AIDS Research or AMFAR for 13 years, and then you went on to found AIDSMed.com, educational website for people living with HIV. And then, as if that wasn't enough, um, your documentary. Um, that you were featured in, How to Survive a Plague, took the world by storm, seemingly, um, just in the last you know year or so. How is you know? Are you do you ever sit back and and you're just shocked on, on what you've been able to achieve? Yeah. I mean, well, first off, uh, I'm not the godfather of the movement. Larry Kramer's the godfather <laughs> of the movement, and, 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 and if you call me that again, he's probably going to have me kneecapped. So <laughs> we uh, uh, let's all, re- all remember who, who our father really is. Um, and I love him dearly. And he's been, he's been uh, battling with some real major health issues in the last few months and he's making a nice comeback. And so we're all really rooting, rooting for him. Um, but, uh, you know, I was part of a movement and, uh, um, and that movement was very community-based. Uh, it definitely, it definitely was the gay and lesbian community in the U.S. that that started to fight AIDS um, and created 
AIDS activism. Um, and as is beautifully portrayed in, in How to Survive a Plague and, and in some other documentaries, and, and like We Were Here, which I hope uh, your listeners have seen, um, and United in Anger and, and others, uh, we, we did change the world. And it's, it's an extraordinary uh, uh, movement, uh, extraordinary moment of achievement, um, how we were able to force uh, uh, a government that couldn't care if we lived or died, uh, forced them to recognize the value of our lives, and we, we forced them to spend money on AIDS research and that ultimately uh, saved many of our lives and now saves millions of lives around the world. Uh, Peter, this is Robert. Um, can you uh, go into a little bit more about what, how, what you guys actually did, what ACT UP did, and, and how you guys actually got the attention of the government and like the physical things that you guys did on the ground when you were on the streets because you weren't only educating, you know, your friends and family and, and the people in your city, but you were educating, you know, the world and the government. How, what were some of the things that you did to get their attention? Oh, you, we didn't, uh, we didn't do anything new from a drastically new from a civil disobedience perspective. We, we definitely borrowed from, all the movements that came before us, including the civil rights movements and uh, women's liber- liberation, and um, and on and on. And uh, but uh, there was definitely uh, a novelty to who was doing uh, that activism in 1988, for instance, uh, when ACT UP. Uh, stormed uh, the Food and Drug Administration in Washington, D.C. It was all the ACT UP chapters from around the country, and uh, we, we tried to shut down the building for an entire day, and we surrounded it uh, for many hours uh, with many arrests. And, um, and the country and the media had never seen uh, patients uh, dying from a deadly disease, protesting against the U.S. government, saying, "Don't let your let your you know you're complicit in our deaths. You're ignoring the fact that we are dying, and therefore you are complicit." And they also hadn't seen, by and large, gay people protesting, uh, mm. gay men and lesbians. Uh, Stonewall wasn't televised, <laughs> you know. Um, the country didn't really know about Stonewall, even in 1987. Um, it had not become, you know, that's something that the country's only learned about in the last couple decades is the gay rights movement, has, the modern gay rights movement has really uh, flourished and, and become a, a new story in its own right. Um, but... Americans didn't talk about homosexuals. They didn't want to know about homosexuals. And all of a sudden, the nightly news was filled with angry, screaming homosexuals. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and it shocked them. It just shocked the national conscience. Um, there, there's an interesting poll that Gallup has been doing uh, uh, since... Um, 1977, asking Americans uh, about homosexuality. 
it's, a, it's an old school question. It doesn't even really um, apply to today's politics at all. It, 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 it's about our, you know, those old sodomy laws that have now been struck down by the Supreme Court. And it basically asks Americans, do you think uh, 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 consenting homosexual sex between two adults should be legal or illegal? In other words, the act itself, should that be legal or illegal? And uh, it was about, you know, in the late 70s, it was about even, Stephen, the legal and illegal lines um, uh, in the mid-40s on each number. And then uh, as AIDS hit in 81, and and definitely starting in 83 when the country started uh, hearing about it more, and, and, and then in 85 as they started panicking about it, um, the make it illegal line soared and went up, you know, over 70% of Americans thought that uh, we should be thrown in jail for who we are. Um, and then ACT UP came around and we shattered the American myth of what homosexuality was about. We, we showed them that we were strong that we were um, uh, a powerful people, uh, that we were not some pushover sissies, um, and that we knew what we were talking. And we took the story about how we were taking care of each other and our compassion and our humanity started to become a major news item as well. And in the 18 months following uh, the birth of ACT UP, that number, the, the number that thought it should be illegal, fell by 21 percentage points, the largest drop it had ever fall, it's ever fallen. Um, and the lines crossed again. Um, and, uh, and they've stayed crossed ever since. And now, uh, now it's 75 percent think it should be legal. So, um, that was the moment that we really changed perceptions and it was also the moment where reagan and then bush uh, couldn't ignore our pleas anymore for spending money on aids research the aids research budget at the nih which was a pittance prior to act up started to soar and uh kept almost doubling year to year for, for the next few years until it went over a billion dollars, then it went over $2 billion. Now it's over $3 billion. And those dollars, so just putting our bodies in the street led to the change of perception, which led to those dollars, which led to the treatments we have today. So it was an extraordinary uh, uh, line of activism and how you change perceptions and how you, how you can change the world. This is Aaron, uh, Peter. I, you know, I, I was just kind of like scribbling notes as you were talking. Um, you know, I think one of the the things that we cope with today in this movement is um, a certain amount of passivity um, that we are riding the the coattails of activists who've gone before us. We have great fixed dose regimens. There's less of a need for you know patients to necessarily know about the medications and and um, and all the science behind it. 
What would you say to to newly diagnosed and, and young activists today? Um, you know, where are we in the state of activism today? I think we're at a, a kind of an incredible moment. Um, uh, it's it's a it's a double-edged sword. Uh, there are two major conflicting emotions that uh, any activist in this area today is, is faced with. One is this immense excitement and optimism that we actually, the science has advanced to such a state that we actually have some tools um, that can slowly wind down the epidemic worldwide. Um, so, uh, and you know, we didn't have we didn't have all these tools in the early 90s. We didn't have any of them in the early 90s. Um, and now we not only have uh, treatment tools that started in 96 and only got better since then, but now we have some prevention tools, and um, we can really end this epidemic if we got serious about it, if there was leadership on it, and we spent the uh, and we put money behind the effort. Um, at the same time, there's this huge frustration because, as you've, as you've uh, uh, talked on the show a lot, there's a lot of apathy out there. Um, people are tired of AIDS. They don't. They think it's. They they think it was the '80s uh, problem or the '90s problem, and they they, um, they don't want to hear about it. They think it's the most depressing news story they can listen to. And there's an apathy, even among young gay men, there's a huge amount of apathy. Uh, they think it's just my generation's problem. Um, but um, uh, it's not. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it, HIV infections are rising quicker in 20-something gay men than in a, any other age group. So it's not just my generation's problem. It's, it's all, of our, all of our problem. And... We've got to just take our heads out of the sand again. Silence does equal death. That logo still applies. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got some great tools now. So if you want to get involved, trust me, you will get busy very, very fast. Uh, the AIDS activists that I interact with these days um, are busier than they have been in decades because there's so much to do. Um, there's so many tools to figure out how to use and, and to apply, and there's so many government agencies we have to push. And, um, but it, so it, I find it a very exciting time, and I, I think we can get there, but we have to we have to get over that hump of resistance of people even wanting to face the problem. What would have uh, activism looked like in the '80s? Um, with the advent of social media, you know, I think sometimes we're very spoiled. I, you know, I think Robert and I are part of, you know, a newer generation of uh, cyber activists. And um, although we get out to events, um, but we, the main uh, amount of our work and activism is through blogging and writing and, and Facebook and Twitter and so forth. What, how much more could ACT have achieved? had there been more than just telephone chains and, and those things? Yeah, it, it's a great question. Uh, and, I, uh, you know, I, 
I I'm a huge fan of social media and the internet, and I you know I started a website, uh, AidsMeds.com, and um, uh, so I, I you know I love the the internet and the web and and uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, um, and uh, spend way too much time on <laughs> most people, but um, uh, there still is one thing uh, that the internet can't that hasn't been able to figure out how to do um, that was really the key to act up success. And that was that, um, that energy and uh, mm -hmm. that amazing feeling you get by being face-to-face -face in a room as you're strategizing. Um, and it's kind of like a think tank type atmosphere, but uh, it's very crowdsourced and um, it, it's very key to the emotion of the moment. Um, and let's say you're you've got a target in mind, and 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 you're trying to figure out well, uh, how do we you know what type what type of action uh, should we do that'll get the world's attention that the press will pay attention to and somebody says oh well why don't we uh, go to their sidewalk and walk in a circle and the room just kind of feels eh, we've done that before they're going to ignore it and somebody says well let's make this sign or let's close uh, let's shut off traffic here or let's do this and then somebody says something that's like an aha moment and the temperature of the room just changes and it's like yes that's it that's it that's the thing yes put a condom on the guy's house you know <laughs> whatever the whatever the uh, uh whatever the action was and i have yet to find an app or a community forum or a chat room that can recreate that uh, that kind of moment uh, that can recreate that kind of energy, um, and that's what fed ACT UP. That's what fed our mo movement. That's what got people to come back week after week after week. Hundreds and hundreds of people um, passed through uh, the Monday night meeting at the Gay and Lesbian Community Center in, in New York City. Uh, it was a rite of passage for anybody in my generation to show up at at least one or two of those meetings, um, and it's because of that energy. You just can't you can't create that on the web. Mm. That's totally, yeah, last, totally agree. Last time I was in New York, I actually, you know, I went to all the typical. Uh, I guess it was my my journey to to Mecca, but uh, you know, I, I go to all the hot spots because I want to see. I want to just be in the presence of of these places that I've read about and and that I would see that activists had 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 these brainstorming sessions. I guess one of the, the challenges that we have today, I mean, it seems as if ACT UP was born in a time where the climate was just right. Something had to happen. And, and you as a group found a way to harness that. Much of the challenge of what we face today, though, is we will form events and we'll have meetings and we'll have... And you may see the same people that come but nobody else, or you may only yeah. get five people or ten people, or, or and and it, it does get extremely discouraging. It seems as if during ACT UP, because death was imminent in many cases, and you never knew who was going to fall victim to the disease. Was that 
an extreme motivator to to fight harder each and every action. Absolutely, and and uh, you know I'm I'm under no illusion that today's age activism is going to be able to recreate uh, the community-wide energy that occurred in the 80s, which was, you know, you're, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, which was driven by uh, widely felt desperation and fear. Um, uh, and, and we just don't, you know, uh, there's no need for that today. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I disagree with those in my generation who, who think we should create some sort of false narrative for young gay men today telling them uh, that their, their lives are going to be absolutely miserable uh, for the re- rest of their lives if, if, uh, uh, because of HIV and they should, they, should, they should fear it at all costs as much as we did back in the 80s. Well, no, in the 80s it killed you right away. Um, right. It killed you rather quickly and, and, uh, and, and there were no drugs and, and then when we did have drugs they were very toxic. Um, now it's one pill once a day, and, and very few people have any toxicities, and that's their reality. Um, and so, how do you, you know, how do you organize around that? How do you, how do you, uh, how do you organize groups and benefits? Um, and the, the the reality is, we're just you're you're not going to recreate what happened. You're not at, you know, the act up of the 80s is not going to happen again. But that is, that is not to say you can't do amazing work. Um, it, you know, there were only uh, uh, eight of us that put that condom on Jesse Helms' house. There were only seven of us that shut down trading on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, the Treatment Action Group uh, has uh, does just extraordinary work these days uh, uh, on multiple fronts internationally with the UN and 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 uh, with in the city with the New York City Health Department and in New York State with the uh, State Department of Health and throughout the federal government and with the Obama administration and it looks at legislation. It does it all with about 15 staff, um, and they're busting their ass, and they get an amazing amount done because of their reputation and their leverage and their dedication. And so the work is lonelier these days. There's no doubt about that. But um, it is just as capable of change. It really is. Um, uh, we're not dealing with the, the uh, hostile resistance that we were in the 80s. Uh, we're not dealing with governments that that uh, uh, don't even uh, want to talk to homosexual homosexuals or homosexuality, um, and so uh, the fight, you know, the fight goes on, and it's a different fight, but it's worth it's worth fighting, and I think we can have major impacts as a smaller movement. And Peter, how do you, uh, you know, as a long-term survivor and activist, how do you continue to keep going? I mean, some, you know, people who have been living with disease for, for such a long time have, you know, decided to sit down and just let other new activists take over. What continues to keep you wanting to, you know, to keep acting up, I guess? 
Well, I've had my burnout moments, trust me. <laughs> um, you know, we all need to we all need to take breaks and we are, first and foremost as people living with a virus, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to t- protect our mental health. Um, we have to protect our physical health, protect our CD4 counts. Um, and you know, you're 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 no good to the movement if if you're sick, uh, or if you're depressed, or if you're overwhelmed. So um, I've taken breaks. I've taken years off, um, and I'm I'm back in it now, mostly because of the film. Um, yeah. I had left AIDS meds uh, just a year before the film came out, and. Um, it uh, it reeled me back in, <laughs> so, um, and it's gotten a lot of people in, which is really cool to see. I mean, Act Up New York is is busy again, and and uh, it's got demonstrations that are being covered in the New York Times and and local press, and that's just incredibly gratifying to see uh, Act Up catch a second win like this. Uh, Act Up San Francisco is reformed. Um, there's a new group in, in San Francisco called Let's Kiss, Kick Ass. Uh, I'm not sure you've covered it on your show, but it's brand new, and it's, it's, it's just a it's, uh, it's guys from uh, my generation, those of us who lived through the plague years, uh, coming back together, reuniting, and deciding uh, to start taking care of ourselves and creating... Um, uh, uh, creating an organization in San Francisco. It's called it's kickass.org, and they are going to start uh, paying attention to guys of our generation and our issues. You know, we went through the ringer, and and uh, um, and we need to take care of each other like we used to, and that's what they're doing. And I and I have a feeling that that is going to spread to other cities. I, I know that New York is going to pick up the ball. We did a huge community forum um, uh, called Is This My Beautiful Life um, back in June around these same issues, and this is after Spencer Cox died last winter. Um, so um, I'm very hopeful. I really am. How many, how many chapters of Act Up are left? Because I know there's one in Philadelphia, and that's where I'm at. Yeah, Philly never died. Philly, <laughs> Philly, kept, uh, Philly kept going strong. In fact, uh, I would say in the late 90s and right around the turn of the century, uh, up until like 2004 or five, Act of Philadelphia was probably the strongest chapter in the world um, and really gets a, quite a bit of credit for uh, making – international aids and, and pushing the U.S. government to start, uh, you know, looking at Africa and looking at uh, uh, the fact that the treatments that we were all enjoying uh, were not uh, being distributed anywhere in the third world. So um, that is, uh, that's uh, some activism that uh, never went away, and, and Philly was great. Act Up, uh, Act Up Paris is around. Um, Act Up Boston is is uh, 
back and um so we're seeing we're seeing stuff going on and um and I hope people join these organizations and give a look at uh, kickass.org in San Francisco. I think they're very cool. Peter, this is uh, Aaron again. And you mentioned um, Spencer, and I had him on my list here. Um, and I, I know you've, you've spoken about Spencer's death um, at various events um, that you've, you've spoken at, and in fact, even for different uh, events for the um, for the movie, can you just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, when we when we look at our long-term survivors, and and that's been something that's been on the show repeatedly over the last you know few episodes, certainly longer than that. Um, what does Spencer's death mean for long-term survivors? Is that a, the tip of the iceberg for what long-term survivors are going through? The 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 silent majority. Um, I, you know, I don't know. One of the one of the real uh, one of the real problems is that we're we don't have a clear picture of what our generation is going through. It's uh, all of us have uh, friends uh, and colleagues, and uh, some are going through hard times. Some are doing pretty well. Um, so most of most of our knowledge is is anecdotal. Um, there have been uh, certainly uh, uh, we deal, I think, in higher proportions of, of um, mental health issues and and uh, addiction issues, um, having gone through everything that we've been through, um, and. And I and I hear repeatedly uh, the issue of isolation, um, of of, of uh, not feeling a sense of community anymore. Uh, the circle of friends has dwindled. Uh, many of whom died in the 80s and 90s. Um, and uh, people are lonely. Um, people feel isolated. Um, so, to the extent that we can. Uh, create programs and um, create uh, outlets uh, that bring us back together again um, and gives each of us a voice um, and a sense of belonging. Uh, I, I, uh, I hope we'll start looking at, at stuff like that. And that, that's, one, that's why I've mentioned kickass.org two or three times already because that's exactly the kind of work that they're going to be doing. Um, so, um, you know, Spencer, um, uh, was unique in the sense that he was one of the youngest members of ACT UP. Um, when he he joined he left college early and came to New York after ACT UP was formed and found and made ACT UP his family. Um, so he never had prior to ACT UP he never had a career. Um, he never really had an adult life that he had uh, figured out and and then after the hard transition that all of us went through 
when um, the activism started fading and the drugs came out and all of a sudden we had to figure out what to do with the rest of our lives. Um, you know, some, I could fall back on having had a career once and the experiences and, I, you know, I had a resume I could, I could use. And mo- most of us had, had at least that. We had some prior experience that, was, that provided a, a guide for us to return to the real world. Um, and Spencer didn't. And um, it was a very, it, so the transition was much more difficult for him. Um, and, he, and God knows he tried. Um, you know, he, he created uh, a not-for-profit called the uh, Medius Institute for uh, Gay Men's Health that um, specifically uh, lobbied for um, research to look at our generation and what we and the unique problems that we were facing and going through as, as gay men who had survived uh, the plague years. Um, and uh, so that's that's why some of us, after his death, came together and and uh, formed a working group uh, named after that organization and and uh, did that community forum in New York because there was so much uh, fear and shock after his death that, uh, yes, this might be the tip of the iceberg. Um, and we started talking about it, and we, we, we ACT UP as the old ACT UP New York alumni have started doing uh, uh, events to bring us all together and talk things through, and we had a reunion uh, in June, and we're having another event uh, uh, early in November, a, a half-day uh, conference just to uh, talk through uh, all the issues that we're having and bring up uh, all the emotions that people are, are feeling uh, about uh, the ACT UP years and, and where we're at now. So um, there's been a lot that came out of it, and, and it's, left me, um, it's left me more ho- hopeful than I certainly felt in the immediate aftermath of Spencer's death. Um, It it was a wake-up call. And uh, there are people out there who are hurting. Um, And we need to to reach out. We need to find them. We need to bring people together. We need to end the isolation. We need to rebuild community and a sense of community. Um, and help people enjoy the, you know, the amazing lives that we all should be thrilled to have these days. Uh, and, and a lot of us are, and then that's, that's the flip side of this coin. You know, there was some real resilience that we learned in the eighties and nineties. Um, and I have, a I have a lot of people that went through this with me that, um, you know, got through the other side and are strong and have beautiful, beautiful lives now. Um, so it's a mixed bag and, um, I, you know, I'm not, uh, I definitely am not in the camp that we're about to be swamped by, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
all of us jumping off cliffs or something like that. I, I really don't don't see that happening, and it shouldn't have to happen. I had a uh, situation not too long ago with uh, I'm from St. Louis, and I had planned an action to where I was going to chain myself to the state capitol in protest of um, criminalization laws. Missouri has some of the, the most draconian criminalization laws. And I knew full well what was going to happen as a result of that. But in the moments, you know, in the days following that, I had a lot of side conversations. And many of the conversations were, man, that's too radical. You, you, you know, that's, that's going to bring a, a black eye to the movement. Were, were those some of the concerns that, that were voiced whenever the conversations were being had with ACT UP? Were there the side that said, these things are too radical, and then the other side says it's not radical enough? Well, that's a great uh, – I'm glad, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, the movie really doesn't capture this, but uh, within ACT UP there wasn't too much debate. We were a pretty, you know, we were a pretty hard-ass group and pretty radical. But um, uh, if you really have to have lived through those years to remember – that ACT UP wasn't very popular <laughs> in its first few years. We scared the shit out of the mainstream gay establishment. We really did. And a, a lot of them just hated us. Um, uh, they thought we were rocking the boat, and they thought we were going to create just a massive backlash against uh, what, what, what little protected worlds that we had created and you know our 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 safe neighborhoods in San Francisco and and New York would would come under siege or we'd all be locked up. So there was this yeah there was a huge debate within the gay community about whether uh, that style of activism was going to do more harm than good. It's only with hindsight that everybody is saying now, thank you, ACT UP. Um, you were right. Um, you pushed the ball forward, um, and you were the ones that get the credit uh, for most of what came after, including the modern gay rights movement. I mean, uh, every, you know, it, it, you can draw a direct line between ACT UP and gays in the military and gay marriage and gay, gay, gay all over the place these days. Um, and the fact that we are, uh, feel like a completely powerful, don't fuck with me, Mr. Movement. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that power all came from those years. Um, that sense of power all came from those years. Um, so I'm, I'm for, whenever somebody pushes the envelope and and just has had enough and wants to make a statement, um, I encourage it. <laughs> just to keep it nonviolent. Right. Do you do you see? I mean, you know, as you travel the world now, and uh, you know, I, I Robert and I are both just astounded just to to be speaking with you and and to hear your experiences. You know. Are there activists, are there young activists out there that you encounter and, and you think to yourself, man, 
you know, back in the day, that's a young activist that would have been with me on ACT UP. Oh, do yeah. You, do you encounter a lot of those? Oh, yeah. Not enough, but they're <laughs> out there. <laughs> they're out there. Um, yeah. Uh, I uh, I like... I like some of what I see in 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 the in the younger generation. I really do. Um, uh, there's a lot I don't like. Um, you know, I do think. You know, I I I do think that there is a uh, a problem with uh, connectedness and and uh, um, and passion and and just you know passion there seems to be there seems to be a, a, almost a majority that's um, treading water <laughs> but you know uh, that was kind of true of my generation too so it was always you know it's always a small minority that that uh, get very, very passionate and, and drive most of the change that happens in the world and drive most movements that happen. Um, and I've definitely met some youngsters that just are filled with that same energy and and they gobble up this history when they hear about it. And um, they're very curious about uh, uh, what came before them. Um, I like to tell a story of when uh, when I first joined ACT UP. I was I was one of those you know twenty something gays who had kind of I was a closet case and I had really didn't I was clueless about the world and clueless about uh, uh, the history of gay rights and um, and all of a sudden I was thrust into this activism and I felt a little unmoored um, and uncentered and and somebody told me about a new documentary that had won the Oscar uh, called The Times of Harvey Milk. And this was, and I, you know, for all your listeners out there, if you've seen the movie Milk, it pales in comparison to the documentary, uh, the documentary that won the Oscar called The Times of Harvey Milk. And um, so I got a hold of a VHS tape, and I watched this thing, and I was just blown away. Um, it really centered me. Um, you know, here was this here was this angry, passionate, powerful community that was able to convince the entire state of California to not vote for an anti-gay referendum in the '70s. In the '70s, and I had no idea. Um, and and then the the bravery and the brilliance and the passion of a man like Harvey Milk, uh, it just I found the whole thing completely inspiring, especially uh, San Francisco's gay community, and and uh, how it came together and how angry it got after the assassination. Um, so uh, it it really informed my activism going forward, and so if you're if you're interested if you're uh, a twenty something out there, and this stuff interests you, um, learn your history, um, watch that movie, watch How to Survive a Plague, center yourself, 
and uh, you can do you can do it too. I, uh, I'm seeing people of that age do it now, and they're they're amazing. They're just amazing. Words words to definitely uh, to live by, and I, I think uh, Robert, I you know I don't know about you, I'm just more you know amazed by just. Um, I'm not trying to puff up your your <laughs> your head or your. I mean, I, I'm just astounded and I'm in awe. Just uh, you know, talking with you and hearing your stories, um, and and I think probably Robert he has a, a one last question before we cut you loose. Thank you so much for being with us, Robert. You there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry, I, I had myself muted there for a second. Um, Peter, thank you for sitting in with us for the hour and, and sharing, you know some of your story and educating us. It's important that people like you share the history so we don't forget where we come from and, you know, we don't take for granted what we have. Um, what advice would you give to a newly diagnosed person who may, you may meet on the street or, or somewhere and, and is looking for some sort of advice? What would you tell them? Well, um, first off, uh, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, uh, Education uh, will be your strongest asset, um, knowledge in other words, learning everything you can about uh, what you're facing. Um, and that will empower you. Um, um, I'd also r hug them and because and, <laughs> and, I know that there's way too much shame in the world. Um, and a lot of people, that's one of the first emotions that they, they grab onto. Um, and, you know, we're, we are all human beings. We're all fallible. Um, and a person living with HIV, um, uh, should not feel um, less worthy um, than anybody else in this society. Um, and in fact, they can go on to contribute amazing things. Um, I think many people with HIV that I know are like the angels of the world. They're just, they're just incredible human beings. Um, and they've done so much and they've changed things. And I, um, I, 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 it saddens me every time I meet somebody who's beaten down by this virus, either physically or mentally. Um, and as long as you learn all you can about it and, 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 and don't ignore the virus, we all know what happens when you ignore HIV. <laughs> whether it's personally or when a community ignores it, because it will bite you in the ass eventually. Um, and we're seeing that with young gay men these days, because they're ignoring the crisis, and it's beginning to infect more and more of them. Um, so we all need to stop ignoring HIV. We all need to talk about it as it is, it's a fucking virus. That's all it is. Um, it's not some moral uh, 
crusade or uh, uh, condemnation of any of us. Um, and, and so I, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, uh, <laughs> I would hug that person and, and, and support them and, and, uh, and hope that they would thrive because they, they, they still have that potential. Well, there you have it, Peter. Um, where can people find you or contact you? I'm on Facebook, uh, Facebook slash Peter Staley, and Twitter, uh, Peter Staley is the handle there as well. well. Thank you so much, Peter, for joining us and for being a pioneer in all this and being our hero, because without you and all your friends and what you've done, we wouldn't be here doing this show right now. So thank you. Thank you, you guys. Thanks, Peter. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Alrighty then. So what a what a an amazing man. Um, there's so much knowledge coming from him. It's it's incredible. It is a lot of knowledge, and I you know what I want to encourage listeners. If you're listening out there, wherever you are, whether you're in New York or whether you're in San Francisco, there's something that you can do. There's something that each one of us can do. And if you think that your voice is singular and you will not achieve much, um, go right now and watch How to Survive a Plague. And if it doesn't motivate you, there's probably something wrong. <laughs> you, need to, you need to check the batteries because it, it, each time I see that movie and Unite in Anger and We Were Here um, and, and recognize that's what happens when, when we um, get focused on something and it will come into existence if we force it. And, you know, that's interesting because I was, uh, you know, preparing for the show and I was watching uh, different videos online and I kept watching the trailer over and over again and, and seeing the images of them marching in the streets and um, reading about the, the political funerals that they would have where they would actually have a corpse in the streets and, and they would hold a funeral um, to get attention and to bring awareness to this disease that it was killing so many people. Um, I wondered, where was I? Like, in the 80s, I was of age to kind of watch TV and, 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 you know, I was a gay man. So I'm sure if I heard something that was gay or was on TV, maybe I would be paying attention. Like, I don't remember seeing this growing up, you know, in the eighties, I was born in 79. So I was at least, you know, by the time this was going on, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. And, and I'm curious to why, how come I've never heard this? And when I did hear about AIDS, it was, like a distant thing. It was just something that, like, wouldn't happen to me. Like, it happened, like, in San Francisco or it happened in New York. And, like, it's, just, it's kind of weird now that I look back on it, Aaron, that, like, I always thought that it didn't happen to me because I didn't hear about it at, in my local news. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know. It just got me thinking. I hear you. So it, how can our listeners find out more about uh, Robert? Uh, they can go to pauseim.org and find more information about me and join Pauseim Social Network while you're there as well. All right. And you can find more about me, Aaron Laxon, on Facebook or Twitter, or go to YouTube, uh, My HIV Journey on YouTube. And we would like to hear from each and every one of you. Remember that um, together we're in this fight. Um, until next week, do you have any parting words, Robert? Uh, next week we'll be joined by our friend Scott Kramer and my friend Liza. So join in. All right, Robert. I will talk to you next uh, week. I right, have a good week. 
We hope you enjoyed this week's Pause I Am radio program. We want to encourage you to listen each and every Sunday evening for Pause I Am and Pause 2.0. It's not the pause you used to know. With brand new format, brand new guests, and a brand new encouragement coming your way each and every Sunday. We want to encourage you to check us out on social media. You can find myself, Aaron Laxon, and Robert Brining both on Facebook and Twitter. You may also like the Facebook page, Pause I Am Radio. Be sure to go on there like that. Stay up to date on what's going on in your community and the HIV community. If you haven't done so, also be sure to go to www.pauseim.org and join the online community. There's no reason to be alone in your diagnosis, in HIV, we're here for you. There's others here for you. Until next week, my name's Aaron Laxton. I get the pleasure of signing off for my dear friend and co-host, Robert Brining. Remember, each one of you makes the community you live in. Make it a great one. Do something positive.